Welcome to the Happy Saver podcast. I'm Ruth, a blogger on personal finance here in New Zealand and on this podcast I tell the stories of Kiwis and their experiences with the money in their lives. Now you're going to hear helpful, relatable stories from Kiwis who are giving their tips and points of view on personal finance in New Zealand. Now personal finance is indeed deeply personal. So with that being said, what do you do when you become debt free for the very first time in your life? Well, you email me to share your fabulous news, of course. And that is how I came to know Dale and Dean. They had discovered my podcast and absorbed all of the wonderful money journeys from all of the wonderful New Zealanders I've spoken with. And with a significant birthday on the horizon, that would be Dean turning the big 5-0, they decided to finally get themselves out of debt. I came to know them at the end of their debt-free journey and of course I was absolutely delighted for them. Now before I tell you all about their story, I have just a quick word from today's sponsor. I'm excited to have Hatch supporting today's episode because for the first time they make investing in the US share markets easy and affordable for Kiwis. Hatch is Kiwi Wealth's digital investing platform. In fact, they are 100% Kiwi owned and operated by the Kiwi Group family who are committed to helping Kiwis be as wealthy as they should be. With over 13,000 investors and $33 million invested to date, Hatch is really opening up a world of possibilities to Kiwi investors, letting them invest in the most recognisable companies in the world. With no management or custodial fees, their fair and transparent low fees are explained when using their platform. And because real people sit behind Hatch, if you have any questions to ask, one of their friendly humans, based in Wellington, would love to help you. So to easily invest in the largest share markets in the world, head to hatch.as forward slash the happy saver. When I first heard from Dean that they had just become debt-free for the very first time in their adult lives, he referred to his wife as the lovely Dale. So when I spoke with them and whenever I receive emails from them, I already have a really lovely mental picture of the both of them. And I can confirm that they are indeed lovely people. I tell you, this is the beauty of being able to create this podcast for you. It brings me in touch with such a nice bunch of people. I think we spoke for almost three hours, and I think we could have actually spoken for a lot longer. When people finally get the chance to talk with someone else in an open and honest way about money and how they make it work in their life, we all want to make the most of that great opportunity. So they are both from Northland, from up above Auckland, and they first met at their local church when Dean came back soon after finishing five years of studying architecture at university, and he studied both at Massey in Palmerston North and then at Victoria in Wellington. Dale already knew his family and friends, but nonetheless he had his work cut out to convince her that he was indeed a nice guy, which they said took a while. Dean just squeaked through university before the user pay system really started to come into force. He thinks that in his last year he did incur fees but they were pretty low and he always worked full time during his summers to pay for his expenses throughout the year and the only student debt he took on was to actually buy a stereo for his flat. He had no other money, was completely broke when he reflects back but apart from that stereo he got through debt free. And when he graduated, he said that work in the field of architecture was hard to come by because the country was still feeling the effects of the 1987 share market crash and there was not a lot of work about. But he did manage to get a job with some consulting engineers, which worked out well for him in the end because they did a wide range of both architecture and engineering work and they trained him, amongst other things, to design fire safety systems for buildings. 
After about 11 years of working for them, he handed in his notice so that he and Dale could travel overseas, and when they got back he decided to go it alone as an architect. It was as he was developing the practice and he was talking with other architects that he realised that his skills at developing fire reports were not something that every architect could do, so today he does not practice architecture but has developed a real niche in creating fire reports for commercial buildings throughout New Zealand, and he can work from his home office to do this. Once Dale had finished school, she went straight into paid work, where she trained on the job to become an accountant. She worked two and a half years where she was both working and studying her course through Polytech, before switching to a full-time study, where she graduated with a diploma in accountancy. She then returned to that employer and worked full-time for them for another one and a half years before finally moving on to work for a local church and then to a local school running their office and accounts. She also had a stint working in a bank on the business side of it, but she said she struggled with the sales targets side of things, having to constantly sell products to customers to reach her targets. So she moved to a large car dealership and began running their office, doing all their accounts and just doing whatever needed doing. She worked there for about 12 years before taking a break, or rather transitioning into another role, which I'll get to shortly. They described themselves as coming from similar backgrounds. Both of their parents were good with money, and they were always taught that you should try not to get into debt for things that depreciate in value, and were just generally taught to spend less than you earn. They said that once they were married, they were probably not focused on finances, more on putting money aside to travel, something that they did soon after marrying and something that they still love to do. They said there was never much long-term planning about anything that they did. They tended to find something that they wanted, they saved for it, they did it, and then they moved on to the next thing. However, there was one thing that they did do. Early on in their marriage, they realised that they needed to be doing something for their retirement, and they went and they saw a guy, a financial advisor, to talk through retirement and savings plans. They asked him about his products, for example, and they did ask him about fees because they knew they would need to pay him for his services. Dean said they were given an airy-fairy answer and neither of them was confident enough in their own abilities to question further. They knew he was selling products, but they just accepted the information they were given and signed on the dotted line, rightly thinking, well, that's all sorted, we are doing the right thing and saving for our retirement now. With their first home, they more or less fell into home ownership and although they were living within their means, it was not something they were planning for or saving for necessarily. The first home they purchased was Dean's grandmother's unit because she had sadly passed away. It had been on the market for a while when his family offered it to them to buy as their first home. They had not even been thinking about buying a house, but in 2001 they did. Because they had not been intending to purchase a house, when they did, they had barely saved anything up. So they paid 91500 for it using a BNZ loan plus a $30,000 loan from their parents. Now I find it interesting to hear that they more or less had 100% finance, mostly from the bank and the remainder from their parents. When you hear about this today, it's often made to sound like this is a new concept, but it's not new by any means. Parents have been helping out their kids and helping them get into housing for years. It's just that the numbers we are talking about today are so much higher. Their first home was a perfect starter home. It was tiny. It was on a main road, it was noisy, it had lots of horrible things about it, but it was cheap. And at this point I'm thinking, poor old grandma having to live there, but they had two incomes and no children, so they cranked into the mortgage pretty quickly. And why did they do this, I asked, because neither of them like having debt, it's just a natural inclination that they both have, so they just set about paying it down. 
Now, they might not have liked debt, but they did like the idea of owning property. So in 2005, they purchased a section with the hopes of Dean using his architectural skills to design them a beautiful home. Although the mortgage on this first home was now down to about $44,000 by this stage, they took on another $105,000 to cover the cost of the section, bringing their total borrowing up to $149,000, which back in 2005 was actually considered a reasonable sum to borrow. Their plan was to design a home that could accommodate Dean and Dale and then also provide a separate and independent living space for his parents. They wanted to create space for extended family to come and stay for lengths of time when they wanted to take a break from where they were currently living. And of course, being an architect, he had always had a desire to design and build his own house. Now, anyone who knows an architect might know where this story is going. The section was steep with beautiful views over their city and harbour. He started designing away to his heart's content and then they priced it up. Now, the costs were horrendous and there was no way they were even going to get close to building it. By the time he had redrawn it a couple of times, they realised that this site was not actually for them. They could not build this extended family dwelling on this property for anything close to what they could actually afford. So they rented out their unit instead and went and found a house to rent that could accommodate both them and his parents. They were all living in the home together, not in the separate spaces he had envisaged, but it was a good test run for them all and they knew from this exercise that if they were to all live together, they really needed their separate spaces. Two years after purchasing it, they resold the section in 2007, getting $185,000, an increase of $80,000 in price, which is not too shabby at all. And having worked in the building industry myself, I've seen two things. A, many architects design up houses that are unaffordable, no offence Dean, and B, clients that then decide to proceed with the build, even though they know that it's going to stress them financially. So it was a really bold move to quit while they were ahead, and lucky for them also that the section had increased in price by such a generous amount. So began a house hunt, and they found an existing and relatively new house that was outside of their budget, but with a few modifications would be perfect for their situation. They walked away though because the price was still just too high, but sometime later the agent actually phoned them and said that the owners were now desperate to sell, and so the negotiations began and they ended up buying it. They still spent more than they ever wanted to, and they carried the entire cost of the house with a mortgage because they wanted to own it all in their own name and not enter a partnership with his parents, as they already had a house a couple of hours away. Now the agent did their job and they pushed them extremely hard and they ended up paying the absolute maximum that they could, which was $510,000. And Dean said to the agent, look, I've got nothing else to give you except the $25 I have in my wallet. So that's it, we are done. So the agent accepted the offer of $510,000 and also took the $25 cash from his wallet. So in 2007, at the peak of the market at that time, they had increased their mortgage up to 301000 and then proceeded to sink a further $85,000 into remodelling this huge 320 square metre house so that they could create a downstairs home for his parents and an upstairs home for themselves. They think that they'd looked at so many crap houses that they thought that they could make this one great and they went about building in bathrooms and putting in kitchens and hopefully increasing its value and its livability for their situation. And remember that retirement fund that they'd started a few years back? Well Dale is the numbers person of the marriage and they began to look closely at this fund and calculate how much they were actually paying in fees and when they realised how high they were, they were pretty shocked. The performance of the fund was going down and down, yet the fees coming out were so high 
that they made the decision to bail out and they were gutted because they felt like they'd been had. And they recalled the financial advisor felt just as gutted at losing their income and he sent them a pretty angry email trying to get them to change their mind. This unfortunate scenario meant that it had put them off investing and it put them off the share market. They wish they knew what they know now about investing because they would have gone about it in a completely different way. But it was not to be. We make the decisions we make based on the information we have at the time. And they sank this retirement money plus every gain that they had achieved from selling their section into a new driveway and the remodeling of the home. Also in 2011, having become heartily sick of managing a rental property, they sold their first house, the unit. So they paid $91,500 in 2001 and they sold it for $175,000. So they were to stay in their new big home until 2014, so seven years in total, repaying $190,000 to the BNZ Bank during this time. And having bought at a market peak back in 07, this time around Dale said the market was just wrong. It was great for buyers, but not so good for sellers. So why did they choose to sell if that was the case? Although their shared living had worked well for many years, his parents were now spending more time away from the home than they were there. And they looked at their situation and came to the conclusion that it was ridiculous to have a big mortgage and they were effectively rattling around in a house that was way too big for just the two of them. It was kind of the opposite of parents buying a big house and then all the kids leaving home. Instead, the kids bought the big house and the parents moved out. So they ended up selling for $522,000 and Dale said she was acutely aware that they were going to make a substantial loss and the agent they used to sell the property was pretty realistic up front. Dale and Dean obviously wanted more. They wanted to sell in the high 500s or at least break even, but the agent said that given the current markets, this was just simply not going to happen. At that time, people from Auckland were just starting to realise that they could pick up cheap property north of the city, but the property rise had not really started for their region just yet. They both decided that it was time to cut their losses and move on because this house really didn't suit their lives anymore. I think that for people listening to this, it's a very good reminder that despite current events, property in New Zealand does not always go up in price in the time frame that you are working to. So if you buy at the top of your price range, you pour all of your retirement savings into it and any additional money, then it does not always mean that you are going to make out with capital gains at the point you are looking to sell. It really does pay to plan for all parts of your life and not hinge everything on property. Dale's dream was to have a house slightly out of town in the countryside, so they found a two-acre plot and purchased it in 2014 for $220,000. This time the site was flat and easy to build on. It already had a big shed, an effluent system in place, power, water and phone connections, which was a really big advantage. And having sold the 320 square metre house, although they lost money, they were able to pay cash for the section and for a period of time at least they were debt free and they were able to rent while they built. So Dean got to take another shot at designing a house. Could he design a house within budget this time? Of course not. He is an architect. But he got there in the end, designing a two-bedroom, 115-square-metre house, which includes a home office plus a garage, which is absolutely perfect for them. By this time, Dale was getting a little tired of her job, and Dean's business was going really well. So because they'd built a bit of a financial breathing space now, he said, just quit. So she did, and she laced up her steel caps and helped the builders out on site and really got to be involved in the building of her new home. Once the build was over, they finally moved in in mid-2016. 
She has been helping Dean in the running of his business when needed, or their business I should say, and although she never planned to not be working this long, remember these two just flow from one thing to the next and are not big planners, it's all kind of just worked out. Everyone said to her that she would not last not working, they gave her six months at best, but since that time she's not gone back to working full time and she admits that there is a bit of a work void there, so she has done some relief work and some contract work for old employers, which she loves doing, and she has certainly not ruled out more short term work in the future. She now considers herself the maintenance woman of the property. She keeps Dean fed and watered and she helps friends out if their children need looking after and she does voluntary work as well and she leaves the weekends free so her and Dean can just hang out together. To help them pay for the build of this house, they feel very blessed here because her parents offered the use of their money as a loan to get the build done. Her parents had money sitting in term deposits so they were able to use that instead of faffing around with a bank and they accepted a loan of 155000 They paid them the same interest that her parents would have received from their bank and Dale just kept running a spreadsheet of payments made and the amount still owing. So they were in their new place, Dale was finding her feet being semi-retired, Dean was happily working from his home office and if I know anything about architects probably looking around the house for things he would design differently next time. And over the last five years the business has really taken off as New Zealand has enjoyed a real building boom because what he does is so specialised, he's never short of work and because of Dale now being more flexible and not heading off to work for 40 hours a week herself, she's able to carry out some small parts of his job which takes the pressure off Dean plus she is able to do all of his accounts for him as well. He said that there appears to be unlimited work and that they have found a really great niche which is awesome. So they were ambling along just fine. Turnover of their business has been growing by 50% year on year, meaning they have recently been able to draw a combined salary of about $200,000 gross, which it's safe to say has exceeded all of their expectations. Their whole financial ride has been a journey of picking up tips and tricks of how to manage money. And although they knew from the beginning that they never liked debt and they had made higher payments to their mortgage, there had never been any deliberateness about getting rid of it. Money comes in and money goes out. Dean had been interested in the big picture stuff but not completely engaged and until recently that is when Dean realised that things were going okay for the business and that with a bit of focus they actually could be debt free before he turned 50. So suddenly the goal of getting rid of the mortgage was there. He became determined that he wanted to be debt free before his 50th birthday. This was an aha moment. He did call it his epiphany and in my experience of speaking with people about money, we all need to have one before we can actually take action. We need a reason to change. Dale on the other hand, she was all in. She is the numbers person and had always kept detailed information on where their money was. Many years ago she was at work, I think she said, and she was using a disc like um, an old compact disc as a coffee cup coaster. This disc was actually a Microsoft Money program, so she took it home and had been using it up until very recently when it became unsupported and she switched to Pocketsmith. So she had always tracked their spending, but up until now, she had just tracked what had happened, not predicting what could happen in the future. Dean had always thought that being mortgage-free was a long way off and unachievable. The thought of having a net worth of a million dollars or more was just out of his realm and he could not even think about it. But they discovered that with small areas of deliberate action, you can get there so much more quickly and this focus has become such a key component of the way they think now. You have to capture it yourself. No one else can tell you to and only when you do that are you actually willing to start to make some changes. 
Way back in 2007, when they'd bought their enormous house, they'd been at an event where a guy came to speak. He was talking about saving cash, saving up for things, etc., and he was giving out a lot of smart tips. This talk had actually always stayed with them. At that time, they'd noticed that lifestyle creep was really starting to settle in, and when Dale took a look at the numbers, she thought they were spending a hideous amount of money. You know the type. You go to the supermarket to grab some carrots for dinner because you've run out and you come out with five other things and you do that every other day of the week. So hearing that man speak back then, it helped her focus and they did implement some good spending cuts like meal planning and shopping with a budget, using cash for groceries and actually sticking to a list, but they still thought mortgage debt was insurmountable. And by the way, they now spend a mere $110 a week on groceries. In the last couple of years, they really began to pay attention. Dean, always a fiction reader, suddenly became an avid reader of non-fiction books and anything to do with personal finance and investing. Now he said he just can't consume enough and he is constantly trying to take in as much information as he can. They also went and sought the help of one or two investment professionals who came up with some plans for them. But Dean said the more learning he's done himself, the more he thought, yeah, nah, we think we now have the information and the confidence to just actually do this ourselves. He said they were nice people, but ultimately they were just selling products. I'll just chip in here and say that it seems they keep finding themselves in front of the wrong financial professional. Now, if you do want to seek out financial advice, look for an independent authorised financial advisor, one that you pay an upfront fee to for their services. This means, but still make sure you double check, that they are independent and they don't have any incentives or kickbacks to recommend any particular product or strategy. Once they had this goal to be debt-free by 50, they stopped all non-essential spending. No more holidays in the short term, they really started telling their money what to do and they cut down in every area of their lives and with each paycheck they poured money back into her parents' bank account until on the 24th of April 2019, it was done. They finally 100% owned their own home for the very first time in their lives and they became debt free. And how did they celebrate? Apparently there was a lot of jumping around the room as they sent the last payment off and then they emailed me too. And that was the very first time I heard from them and I was really pleased to join in the celebration with them. So then the next chapter began because the opposite of paying interest is earning it. And with such a great income, their salary began to come into their bank account and actually stay there. And the last four or five months have been a time of reflection, really, and of helping others do what they did, but earlier in life and more quickly. So what might they say to others? As they really cranked into their journey out of debt, they did what a lot of people do. They found they wanted to help other people who were equally in the dark about how to handle their money. They are part of the Arise Church and at it there was a finance course being offered so now they are facilitators of that course. It is offered New Zealand wide they said where people like themselves use a central pool of resources provided by the church to deliver the same course throughout the country. They said that the practical side of things is based around the Dave Ramsey baby steps, someone they had never heard of which seems to be a theme at the moment with people I'm speaking to for my podcast. He seems to be a big help to those just starting out. Over five sessions, they help people look through a couple of months of bank statements so they can see where their money is going, and then they set a goal for where they want to be. They create a budget that incorporates their goal, they teach them to set up an envelope system using bank accounts to manage their budget, and then they review it. They said that it's all good practical stuff, and given what they've learned by doing, they can talk to them about many aspects of money in general. 
I was really pleased to hear of such a practical workshop being offered because as I mentioned, people just want to know how to do things. People just want someone to tell them what to do and the right way to do it. And it sounds like this course offers that. And best of all, it seems to be working. Dean enjoys telling the story of compound interest. You'll find this example in many investing books like The Barefoot Investor for Families. And it goes a little bit like this. If Tui from the age of 15 to 25 invest $5,000 every year in the stock market, earning 10% interest a year, but her best friend Jessie is busy doing other things so does not start saving until the age of 25, still investing $5,000 each year into the stock market earning 10%. But to catch up, Jessie continues investing this $5,000 every year for another 30 years. So Tui invests $50,000 in total, Jesse invests $180,000 in total. The question is, who ends up with more at the age of 60? Well, Tui does by country mile, ending up with $2.7 million and Jesse with $1.6 million. Now this simple example shows the power of compounding interest and it shows the power of time and it's a surefire way to become wealthy. And this is the story that they wish they had heard at the age of 15. This is the sort of knowledge that they want others to learn, and if they had their time all over again, he would save like crazy and follow Tui's example. They are concerned that so many young Kiwis get off to an okay start with their retirement savings into KiwiSaver, but then they drain their fund to buy a house, thinking they are getting ahead, but actually taking a step back in the long run because all that money invested no longer has the chance to compound and grow over time. If you want to create a more balanced life and not just end up house rich and cash poor, you need to also plan for your retirement from a young age. After all, paying the minimum of 1042 into your KiwiSaver will give you a 50% return because every year the government will also give you $521 and it's pretty hard to beat that. Now some resources they would recommend to you and I are things like jlcollinsnh.com, in particular a blog post titled Why Your House is a Terrible Investment. Now I've read it and it is well worth looking up. The fear for Dean and Dale is that although they are delighted to have discovered index funds as a way of becoming an investor, what will they do now that they invest in the share market when the markets do drop? What will they do to make sure they stay the course and don't sell? He said he'll just go back and listen to the wise words of J.L. Collins and his entire stock market series to put his mind at ease. And I'll add to that, J.L. Collins has just released a 10-minute audio clip called A Guided Meditation for When the Stock Market is Dropping. It's a tongue-in-cheek take, but it's actually pretty clever, so it's well worth a listen. Another read he recommends is Dave Ramsey, The Legacy Journey, and also Chris Hogan, who has a book called Everyday Millionaires. Now each of these resources is US based but I can attest that there is still a huge amount of useful information within each of them. They also gave mention of another book The Barefoot Investor by Scott Pape. He is an Australian guy but close enough and I'll also mention that I created a blog post on my website thehappysaver.com called Applying the Barefoot Investor in New Zealand which I know a lot of people have found helpful as we don't have all of the banks etc that he mentions so I give a New Zealand alternative. Dean prefers to listen and not to read, which I think is how they stumbled upon my podcast, and he said that when he found it, hearing a Kiwi perspective was just so refreshing and awesome. So once again, thank you to all of those who put yourselves out on a limb and shared your journey. I'm so grateful, and so are Dean and Dale. Now he likes to hear Mary Holm talk every fortnight on Radio New Zealand, and he recently read her latest book, Rich Enough, who really down-to-earth common sense approach makes sense to him. 
You can find all of these resources on the tools and resources page of my website. They're also lucky to have a neighbour with three young children who did the church finance course a year ago, and she is now extremely focused and intentional in all of her spending, getting the costs of her phone, her power and her food budget really low. Seeing her so focused gets them extremely inspired as well. I asked them if there was anyone in their lives with whom they could openly talk about money. Apart from the neighbour and the people they're helping through the courses that they take, No, not really, which is a shame because they really do want to find people in the same boat as them so that they can discuss ideas and options. Dean said he has his antennae up and is looking for people to chat to and is ever hopeful. And this is a common problem that people who are interested in personal finance do find. My suggestion is to join the likes of the Kiwi Mustachians Facebook group to see if there are people in your area. I also hook up people via my blog if I notice that people are emailing me from the same town as someone else who has also been in touch. So if you're wanting to organise a meetup somewhere, I would be really happy to mention that in an email to my audience. Otherwise, just slip it into the conversation and see what sticks. I always get a good laugh when someone relates a story to me how a friend mentioned the NZX or sharesies in passing and they then suddenly realise this person has been investing all along and then they are off and into it and both can't shut themselves up because they've finally found somebody in their tribe at last. So now that they have 2020 hindsight vision, what might they say to others to wake them up and get them thinking intentionally like the people they are helping on their courses through their church? Well, Dale said that when you are young and you have a big amount owing, you do the best you can, but the end is so far in the future. Instead, your goal should be in your head to take on as little debt as possible and nail it as fast as possible. She said that she always kind of had that thought, but it was not top of mind, so it just didn't happen. They really want you to know that although something like a mortgage can seem so huge and unsurmountable, the paying off of it so far away that the tendency is to bury your head in the sand. They are really wanting you to know that every dollar that you can pay off now turns into multiple dollars at the end, so it's worth working really hard towards your goal of being debt-free. They want you to not focus on just your short-term goal of saving for a new sofa. They want you to think more long-term instead, and what impact the decisions you are making today will have on that future. Growing up, their parents taught them to save. Give some and save some were always the goal. That and never getting into consumer debt. But the issue was and is today that we save hard for something and then we spend the lot, all of it. It's all blown and you are back to scratch, saving up for the next thing and the pattern repeats again and again. They really want to encourage you to save and pay cash for those things that you need, but also to be saving on an ongoing and never ceasing basis for your future as well. And that does not get spent. Instead, the income that that money generates is what gets spent, but the capital is protected. So what's the point of being debt-free in this era of low interest rates and really cheap borrowing? Well, being debt-free now allows them to give more, and this is one of their goals. They have always seen giving as an important part of who they are and have always given regular contributions to a variety of organisations, plus random acts of kindness along the way. And now that they know that they will have enough for their retirement, they feel ready to put a few more structured plans in place for sharing their good fortune. Because they have no children to leave a legacy to, they're putting a lot of thought into what to do instead. They don't want to just die, have it divvied up and it's all gone. They want to make it more meaningful, to make a useful difference, and they don't just want to give handouts. So they've developed a goal of every six months setting a sum of money aside of which they will immediately give 42% and then invest 43% in smart shares for future giving. 
Each time they see a need or a cause that they would like to support, they've been noting it down in their giving folder, and every six months they will distribute to those causes. As the SmartShares fund grows, they'll donate the dividends it creates to a good cause while keeping the capital intact so it can keep generating an income. And they intend to build and build this up and help people in an effective, focused and deliberate way. But what about that last 15%? Well, that would be for them to have a bit of fun with. They have a magical vision of leaving $2 million behind. And by the time they get there, they want their legacy plan in place and ready to implement. And if I were to hand them $10,000 right now, what would they do with that money, I wondered? Well, they would apply their 42%, 43% and 15% rule to it. Personally, I really like hearing about the strategy and their willingness to give others a hand up in life. Sometimes with these big organisations raising funds that we donate to, although the end result is that they help people, your direct input and the effect it has can be completely lost along the way. To pinpoint specific groups or individual people who are striving to achieve something or just need cash during a rough patch is one of the best uses of money that I can think of. And as my own father used to say, money is made round to go round. They have now been debt-free since April, so where are they investing? They both have their KiwiSaver with Superlife. When they had no idea what they were doing, they were with Kiwi Wealth, mainly because at the time the fund began, Gareth Morgan made a lot of noise and it was his name that they heard a lot, so they just went with them. Now they are both in high-growth funds. Currently, they are both just investing small amounts. He is self-employed, so is putting in the minimum of 1042 to get the government contribution of 521 and she is an employee of his, in effect, so is deducting 3% from her wages, which the business matches, to which I had to add a comment. If she is considered an employee, she should hit up her employer for a much better deal, and I'd be pushing for that 10% match, Dale. Now, they consider their greatest financial flop to be signing up to a retirement scheme in their 20s. Remember, this was well before KiwiSaver came about, but not insisting that the advisor they were dealing with disclose all of the fees that he would be earning. But back then, they didn't know what they didn't know. Once they had calculated this for themselves many years later, they got their money out and then spent that money on their big property. In hindsight, their mistake was not getting out of the fund that they found themselves in, but not getting back into a better fund straight away to resume their saving. It burned them and it took a long time to get over it. But fear not, as of June 2019, they are investing in other places now. They said they are furiously investing $4,000 a month into two index funds, the SmartShares US 500 and the New Zealand Top 50 Fund, but also a little into the Australian Top 20 and also the New Zealand Property Fund. They also actually have Mercury Energy shares. They bought them because they didn't know what they were doing in life and the government offered all New Zealanders the chance to buy in when they partially privatised the company around 2011. So without knowing what they were doing, they bought some and they are doing great. And when they pay out a dividend, they immediately reinvest this money and thereby keep it working for them. They have taken a pretty aggressive approach, but as they age, I'm sure they will rebalance their portfolio a bit and take on some less risk along the way too. Their money is now starting to build up and they can already see the opportunities it will create for them. And yes, they are kicking themselves that they didn't do this earlier. The focus they now have around investing, they wish they had have had when it came to their debt. But c'est la vie, right? There is not a single person I speak with who once they discover a way to get ahead in life does not regret the mistakes that they made earlier. But they provide a good example to others that it's never too late to start. Dean has now consumed the entire JL Collins stock series and he just wishes he knew all of that information when they sat with that financial advisor all those years ago. 
and it's fair to say that they are enjoying earning interest a whole lot more than they did by paying it, and he would encourage you and I to start reading and learning to financially educate yourself and then act upon it too. Now, insurance has come under recent scrutiny as well. They said they've been fairly allergic to insurance for most of their lives. They've always had house and contents insurance, cars and what have you, but they've kept things to the minimum. In March 2018, they were thinking, hey, we're getting older, getting close to being debt-free. Dean is the only one working and we both rely on him working. What happens if something interferes with his ability to work? So they got some income protection insurance in place and some trauma cover for each of them as well. Plus, they have taken on some hospital cover as well with a high excess just to cover the major stuff. They're moving in the direction of being able to self-insure for a number of things. And since becoming debt-free, they've stopped their life insurance because if one dies, the other will be absolutely fine. And they make a good point. The point of life insurance is to protect the remaining spouse financially. But if you have become financially stable with enough money and investments that are returning you an income, an emergency fund in place and no debt, then you don't really need an additional payout that a life insurance policy would give you. Sure, it would be nice, but it's not actually a necessity anymore. And have they splashed out recently? What is the biggest purchase that they've made for themselves in the last 90 days? Dean was actually primed for this question and more than ready to hand over to Dale here, so she reluctantly started to tell me that for the longest time they only ever had one car and it was never a problem. And way back when she was working they purchased a new car, which they pay cash for. Then a year or two down the track that car was involved in an accident and written off by the insurer. So they went back to the car dealer and bought a new smaller car, a Holden Barina, and a Ford Ranger Ute. Because if you have a two-acre property you need a Ford Ranger Ute, right? Ute's damn handy. Now, if a car salesperson is any good at their job, then they'll keep your number and stay in touch, which is exactly what happened when three years after the purchase of her new car, they got in touch to ask if it was perhaps time for an upgrade. And what do you know? They have a cracking good deal going on. So to cut a long story short, she has traded in the Barina and is awaiting delivery of a $30,000 Holden Astra. And that Ford Ranger is actually up for sale and they are on the lookout for a cheap runabout ute to do chores around the paddock. Dean will miss those heated seats, but he will probably stress a lot less when a cow starts licking the wing mirrors. So of all the people I've now asked that question of, I think this wins hands down as the most extravagant purchase. She said that they cut costs in a lot of areas, but spend where they feel it's necessary. So what are their three main financial habits or things that they just automatically do? Number one is that they strictly control their food budget by using cash, and they've done it this way for years now and it works really well for them. They've always bought in bulk and freeze portions for their dinners, plus they grow and butcher an entire cattle beast for their freezer once a year. Once they do a shop, she always checks her receipts because more often than not, she would discover you are charged incorrectly at the checkout. And if you pick up on an error, most supermarkets will reimburse you the amount you paid and they'll actually give you the item as well. Secondly, is that anything that they do buy, they research thoroughly first. So to make sure that they're buying the right item, nothing worse than just buying stuff ad hoc and realising that it's not fit for purpose. And three is that they try to buy better quality once they've done their thorough research. They think of the longevity of an item and if they have to pay extra for something that lasts a lifetime, then they will. And a tongue-in-cheek case in point was the $500 pair of boots that she bought many years ago. They were quality and she still has them and she still wears them, she said. 
As I mentioned, Dale has always recorded things, but going through the financial course at their church has been awesome for bringing Dean on board with this. They recently had a trip to Auckland for a couple of days and everything was budgeted for and the money set aside in advance and they found this incredibly liberating. It's not like they could not have afforded it, but knowing that they have allowed for it and knowing what it was going to cost them in advance really matters to them now. So whether you earn $30,000 a year or $200,000 a year, keeping a budget is equally important for both types of earners. Dale has several different bank accounts set up with their main bank, BNZ, but also with Heartland Bank because of their higher interest rates. And a good tip is to not just stay with a bank due to habit or, God forbid, loyalty, but to shop around. She has bank accounts for specific things she is saving for, whether it's for her new car, for a holiday, house repairs, food or whatever. They've recently discovered PIE accounts, that's P-I-E, PIE accounts, and the tax savings that they could get by using those. So they were pretty excited about that. And that's the thing, they're still very much acquiring information and adding it to their journey as they go along. They use a credit card but are actually transitioning to just using a debit card, but they may keep the credit card around with a very low balance so that they can use it for travel insurance or for the odd hotel that insists on you putting a credit card against your room. So how about an emergency fund? Is that one of the accounts Dale has set up? Well, it sure is. And they are thinking that about $20,000 will be the right-sized emergency fund for them. And this will be located in an easy-to-access bank account, not tied up in a term deposit or any other type of account where you have to pay a break fee. Because the point of an emergency fund is that it has to be accessible in case of emergency, not locked away. For those who feel that this money could be, quote, better used somewhere earning interest, I disagree. Um, The peace of mind that having a sum of money ready as an insurance policy is invaluable and it stops you reaching for a credit card in times of crisis, which in my view, racking up debt just adds to your crisis. I asked them what their money elevator pitch is today, a sentence that would sum up their approach to money. They said that being mindful of the small stuff and being deliberate about those choices can make a big difference. Now I have noticed that as Kiwis we're all so focused on housing that many have a vague end goal to pay it off before retirement but we really need to see that as a step we need to take much earlier in life because many stumble on what to do after we become debt free. These two said that they've ignored investing because they feared it so why would you rush to pay off debt to get to a point of fear? Dean said his brain used to just go fuzzy when Dale started to talk numbers but somehow a light switch flicked to on and he finally saw behind the numbers and I think the numbers 5 and 0 may have had something to do with it but it also suggests that couples think about money entirely differently sometimes and it's just a matter of talking in a way that relates to them both. So coming back around to my question of what is the point of being debt free? What Dean in particular now sees is that putting debt behind you and planning for your future just gives you a huge amount of satisfaction, peace of mind and above all freedom. I asked them if they could go back to their 15 year old self and start again, what would they do? And their advice to themselves would be to start saving and never stop. Always be setting aside a portion of what you earn, always. They now see the difference it would have made to their lives far, far earlier. Now that they have a net worth of about 1.1 million, of which their house makes up about 800,000, they say that the number is arbitrary, really. It's the fact that they are debt-free that means everything to them. Now before I wrap up, I have another quick message from today's sponsor. 
Thanks again to Hatch for supporting the Happy Saver. Whether you are new to investing or an experienced investor, for the first time Hatch gives Kiwis easy and affordable access to the most recognisable companies via the US share markets. With no minimum investment, fair and transparent fees, they are 100% Kiwi owned and operated and they let you and I invest in the most exciting and recognisable companies in the world. So to easily invest in the largest share markets in the world, head to hatch.as forward slash the happy saver. Finally, a huge thanks to Dean and the beautiful Dale for going out on a limb and speaking with me. Their excitement for having nailed debt and developed a clear path for their future really came through. They feel in control and empowered and that's the best feeling to have when it comes to dealing with money in your life. Dean and Dale still have a ways to go, their house still makes up the greatest chunk of their net worth and they need to rebalance their portfolio more but they have found the secret source now and they are on the right pathway. They own the home they live in, they have no debt, they are saving and investing hard for their future while budgeting and planning to have a wonderful life today and paying cash for all the trips that they love to take. When I asked them if they could share their story with me, apparently they both looked at each other and said, what can anyone learn from us? But because they so wish that they had have had the opportunity to have more honest and open financial discussions with others when they were younger, they were willing to give it a go in the hope that you would take something away from their story and apply it to your own life. And I've no doubt that you will take something out of what I've just shared about them. Now, the lovely Dale and her husband, Dean, are very much on a journey. It's much like a snowball, and with each roll, they pick up a bit more wisdom and momentum that they then apply to their lives, and this just ignites their passion to see their future goals achieved, and I've no doubt at all that they will reach them, and more besides. So that's all from me this week. I'll be back next week with another money journey of another Kiwi. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit subscribe and it will automatically update in your podcast app each time I do release a new episode. And if you want to get in touch, you can find me at thehappysaver.com. And I would love it if you could leave me a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please do share this with your friends. Those are the best ways that people can learn about my podcast. And I would love it if you would talk more about money with your own friends and help me continue to help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving. Thank you.